Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh my gosh, hello and welcome to the part of the podcast where Kristen talks for a very brief moment before you get to hear me and Jenny interview James fucking Marsters. Buckle up, everyone. First of all, there may be some of you here with us today who are new to buffering the Vampire Slayer. Perhaps you'll come for James and then stay for the rest of the show. If that's you, welcome to the Hellmouth. My name is Kristen Russo, and I am one half of buffering the Vampire Slayer. Myself and musician Jenny Owen Youngs are going episode by episode discussing the television series. We're just finishing season four right now, and Jenny is writing an original song that recaps each episode as we go. The podcast is spoiler-free for those just being introduced to the series. We know it's 20 years after the fact, but there's still new people joining the family, and we do a lot of patriarchy smashing along our journey. We're both avid fans of Buffy and kids of the 90s, and we were absolutely delighted to get the chance to speak with James Marsters about all things Spike for this week's special episode. A quick but important note, listeners, this interview is not spoiler-free. It contains spoilers. If you have not seen the series, turn around, save it for when you're done. This interview is only for those of you who have seen the series. There are spoilers. I'll say it again. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Do not listen to this if you are watching for the first time. We met James while we were all at a Star Fury convention called the Vampire Ball in London this past December. And he and Mark Devine, who works with him on a hilarious and wonderful project, I'm going to tell you about it in a second, called Vidiots, were so excited about the work that we were doing over here in our buffering family. And that's how we wound up a few months later sitting down in Los Angeles to have this conversation. Uh, if you don't already know about the fun that is Vidiots, go check out Mark and James at vidiotsonline.com. Uh, it follows the adventures of James and Mark as they travel the globe with their trusty PS4. During the day, they explore distant cities and foreign countries, meet with journalists and fans, and record television and movies. However, the jet setting is just an excuse to give them time at night for their favorite pursuit, playing video games, often with their celebrity friends. It's filmed guerrilla style. It's a behind-the-scenes series. It's super fun, and you should definitely check it out, vidiotsonline.com. Uh, a couple of quick things about us before we get into what you're all here for. Uh, you can support our work and join the amazing community that we have over here at Buffering by going over to our Patreon page. It's bufferingthevampireslayer.com, and you just click on Patreon. You also get really cool shit on our Patreon page, like advanced MP3s of the songs, live Buffy watches, with me and Jenny, extra episodes like mailbags, exclusive merchandise, and hem hem, this is a new thing, advanced tickets to our live shows. I don't want to spoil anything just yet, but there will be a few live events in season five. So bufferingthevampireslayer.com, just click on Patreon. While you're over on our website, you can also, if you so desire, click on shop and deck yourself out in some patriarchy smashing Buffy themed attire. We just added a brand new t-shirt design by Christine Tuna, which is a reimagining of our logo with the stake on the fist and the graveyard and it is goddamn gorgeous you should get on over there and check it out last but certainly not least 
At the start of season four, we launched a spin-off series called Angel on Top, hosted by the incredible Laura Zach and Brittany Ashley. And this week's episode, honestly, you guys, it's freaking perfect. Special guest Ira Madison, who you might know from the podcast Keep It or from being one of my top five favorite people on the internet ever, has so much to say on this episode. He guests with Brittany and Laura, uh, including his opinion that Angel is a more queer show than Buffy. Controversial. You should get on over there. It's really, honestly, it's so much fun. I listened to it a couple of days ago and I'm obsessed. Okay. I know that some of you were like, but Kristen, what about your spooky news segment that you always do in the intro? And to that I say, there is no spooky news this week because I cannot wait any longer to get to James Marsters. We had the absolute most wonderful time chatting with him, and we know you are going to love him from eyeballs to entrails. You already did, but you're going to love him from an even taller person's eyeballs to entrails. You know what I mean. Let's get into the interview. Thank you, James, so much for taking time out of your day to be here and talk to us about your role. I woke up thinking about you guys. <laughs> uh, you know, I I, uh, I was looking forward to it. I, I, I met you guys in London, and um, from what you were saying and describing about what you were doing on the podcast, I was so excited about what you were doing. And when you asked me to come be a part of it, I was really happy. And I, I just I woke up in a good mood because I was coming to do this. Well, and it's like a sunshiny day, and it's not too hot outside. It is. Yes, perfect. yes, yes. Well, yeah. that's a very lovely thing to hear. We're equally yeah. as excited to get the chance to talk to you and had like sort of the inverse experience getting to meet you in London. We were like, oh, this is going to be an amazing interview. Like we just knew from talking to you that um, we had a good chemistry chatting and yeah. that we might get to have a really fun conversation that's a little bit different than some of the other interviews you've done right on. in the last however many years it's been since Buffy was on air. I'm so old, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about coming out a lot in my work, and I'm like, I came out 20 years ago. Ah, uh, right? Like, I was two. <laughs> uh, anyhow, we thought the best place to start is kind of the beginning, yeah. right? Like, who you were before this series began and how it came into your life. How, how did you audition for it? Yeah. Tell us the origin story. It all started back in Seattle. I was running a theater company and sleeping in the back in Pioneer Square. And I was, um, I was a poor theater producer and slash actor. So I would, I would work at the larger houses and then take a, all the copious amounts of money that I was making <laughs> getting, uh, and putting it in my little tiny theater company. Uh, and I think we, we produced a show for 4000 including $2,500 rent. But we, we were known critically really well. Yeah. And I came to realize that you can, you can make something worthy without much money. So anyway, I'm at the hospital and my first uh, child is born. And they say that a man's brain rewires when he, when he sees his first child. And his, his uh, frontal cortex becomes more dominant. He becomes less impulsive. Planning ahead becomes easier. Um, I suspect just from seeing it in life that probably a similar things happens with mothers. But this, the article that I read wasn't about that. Right. So anyway, I experienced this um, by seeing my son being wiped off the, the, from the birthing blood. Uh, and he's in a warming table. And I hear this voice that says, go to Los Angeles. <laughs> Prostitute yourself. <laughs> you know, like, 
You decided to be poor, uh, but this little human being did not make that decision, and you now have to tr- at least try to make enough money uh, for stuff like health care. Because this is back in, in the 90s. Yeah. College, diapers, you know. <laughs> uh, and I remember coming down to... to uh, I, I was lucky to get an agent pretty quickly, and I remember telling my agent, like, I am not here for statues. I don't care about awards. I don't, I'm not here to prove myself as an actor. I did that back in theater. Mm-hmm. I've done 100 plays. I'm here for money. I need diaper money now. I'm poor. I was a theater actor, so I was dirt poor from the time I got out of my mother's home till the time I met Joss Whedon. I didn't go to a dentist for 20 years. Wow. You know, I was, that's a whole I other like, story. I was abject. Like one year, me and my ex, she was my wife at that point, my, my ex-wife, both of us together made $7,000. In the year. Yeah, it was. It, we, uh, we used to eat uh, cream of wheat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner until we got sick of it, and we switch over to oatmeal and, yeah. and do that. Like it was, it was, but I was having a great time. Uh, so anyway, I came... <laughs> And I told my agent, I'll do anything. Uh, I'm not, there's no low bar for me. Right? <laughs> um, and, and, but they called me up one night, I think it was Tuesday, and they, they said, we have an audition for you. And uh, it's for this uh, TV series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I said, oh, God, no. <laughs> I saw the movie. That was right. so not my thing, yeah. man. And, and, and they said, well, uh, you know, James is... It's not the movie. Um, the writer of it is a good writer, and he's in control this time. He wasn't of the movie, and uh, everyone's on fire about it. And it's Tuesday night, so why don't you check it out um, and call us after. You, you watch it. And I watched the first 15 minutes, and the commercial break came, and I hopped on the phone. I was like, Jesus, get me on this show. <laughs> this is amazing. No, but did you yeah. watch the first episode, or no. did you you watched somewhere in where the series yeah, was at I, the time? I forget what it was. Right. I forget what the... What what the thing was because I mean I, I don't even know if I finished watching it I'd yeah. already made the, the and, and at that point it's like study the sides because the audition is for tomorrow mm-hmm. you know so it was it was one of them I think it might have been the episode where there's the, the dog boys you know like hyena oh, the hyena, hyena possession hyena. episode wow I think I the yeah. pack yeah and like just the in your face metaphor of that of the behavior uh, in high school mm-hmm. of some guys. Yeah. Not all of us, but some guys. <laughs> I like them, and I knew them. Uh, I, or I knew of them. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine beat one up once. Nice. He knew Kung Fu, and that was all super, super sweet for the rest of us. But um, This is where we would play the patriarchy jingle. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I got really excited by uh, what they were willing to do and how much cover they had because of their wit. They could get the knife right in between the ribs because you were laughing at the point where they get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was a great combination. So I went in and auditioned and did well, I guess, uh, and got called back. And I remember they, they'd been looking for someone to play Spike for, Josh told me, like months, and they couldn't find anyone. They were like three days away from, from filming it. Whoa. When I went in for the final callback. And... I didn't know any of this at the time, but I rem- I just come off of a Macbeth that was really successful in Seattle, uh, where I played Macbeth, and I remember being in the corner doing soliloquies of Shakespeare, uh, just so proud of my stage experience, <laughs> and and so convinced that I was miles ahead of all the other actors in there. I always used to say like like. Uh, 
there are actors and they're doing theater and there are people who want to be stars and they're in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And this is not true. But that's, uh, but that's what I came. I came down to Los Angeles with my nose in the air and very proud of my experience. And, <laughs> and uh, I've come to realize, you know, theater is actually a drawback often in film because a lot of the tools that are necessary in theater um, don't mm -hmm. translate at all mm -hmm. uh, it, it, for film. Like the camera will catch you acting. But the whole point of camera acting is to, to not act, to not do anything that you're aware of, to not do anything that you planned, to just be uh, true and let people stare at you intimately. And um, I didn't know any of that. And, and I, I imagine I just looked like a psychotic. Like all the other guys, I thought that guy was freaking everyone out, and I was, but they just thought that a crazy had come in because he's standing and, and like staring at the wall doing Shakespeare. And they're just like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and so luckily, Juliet Landau was from theater too. And so when I started spouting my theater stuff, uh, she responded really positively, as and we kind of rehearsed it before we went in uh, to do it, and we just kind of clicked right away. Mm -hmm. She was the character that that had a plan. They had a plan for her. She was going to go. She had a longer arc. Spike was originally just going to be Angel's first kill. Right. So. For those of you who haven't watched, which is very few, um, uh, Angel and Buffy finally sleep together. Angel goes evil and kills me and takes up with Drusilla. Also, that Buffy can have her heart broken in the most spectacular way possible. So, so Joss. in Joss's universe, in order for Angel to be really powerfully horrible, he has to kill someone who is powerfully horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and so they built me up, they built Spike up to be really cool and really powerful uh, because they were just going to hack me out wow. after five, five to ten episodes. And so if, if Juliet had not responded well, like the whole reason we're sitting here right now is because Juliet liked me. I was Juliet's boy toy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Thank you to Juliet for that. Thank for you, Smart Little Life. Yeah. Thank you, Juliet. Well, Lyon. that got yeah. you in the door, but then you were just like too charismatic and cool for them to kill off. Yeah, like right. How did we get from five to ten episodes? Like, surely to that had to be a like fan <laughs> response and like your performance and how well everything was working. I I, I had a sense that it was working early on. Like I was having a blast. <laughs> the primary thing when I first started looking at the sides was this thing of a philosopher whose name escapes me said that within all men are all men. And I'm sure if he would have been born now, he would have said within all people are all people. Uh, the idea psychologically being that if, you have, if you're born in different circumstances, if you have different experiences, you have a different personality. And mm -hmm. whatever personality we think we have is just how we're kind of dealing with what we're having to deal with <laughs> at any given time. And admitting that I could have a really fun time murdering innocent people, mm -hmm. I kind of recognized right off, like, that's going to be the trick. Um, because there's a saying in theater, which is, it's called a play for a reason. No one pays money to watch an actor work. <laughs> so <laughs> you, have to, you have to have fun. Even if, you're, even if you're doing something that's heartbreaking, even if you're doing something really serious, it, there's got to be a level of fun to it, or else there's, it's, there's a lot lost. So... I had just gotten off, like I said, I did this Macbeth, and Macbeth is a person who doesn't necessarily enjoy killing people, but he's fine with it. It's his day job. Mm -hmm. He just he, mm -hmm. he doesn't have nightmares about it. That's just what he does. And so when I did that, I, I, I looked into um, soldiers, 
stories and how they felt about their day job. And I, and I found out that one of the things that soldiers don't talk to us about, us civilians who've never been into battle, um, is that when you kill someone, there is this rush of endorphins. And it springs from, and, and if there's any soldiers out there, my apologies that I'm talking about something I've never experienced. But what it said was that, you know, there's, one, there's a big thing of like, I'm surviving right now. It was either me or you, and it's going to be me today. And I'm glad I'm alive. There's a power thing. There's just a million-year-old voice which is a, a primal uh, kill or be killed thing. Mm. And this is one of the, the guilts that they carry back with them when they come home. And they, they, they can't reconcile that reaction. They, they normally don't expect it, and they, they often judge themselves for having it, when mm-hmm. in fact it's kind of it's very, very common. And so I was kind of prepared to make that leap. And I think that, that you know, it was all so fast, but I was able to make that leap quickly. So I think it worked. I, I was ripping off Rudger Hauer from Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. in the, in, I remember there was a scene. It was the second scene I shot. It was when I'm, I, tell, I tell a minion to go out of the club and, and, and make sure Buffy's in the alley or whatever. And I remember that was just a direct rip off of Rudger Hauer. <laughs> Police, men, if you've ever seen. Blade Runner, Um, and then I I ripped off Malcolm McDowell's Walk from Cat People, which was a really I know no one's seen it's not a good good movie, but Malcolm McDowell's an awesome actor. He's playing this kind of guy who's also a cat. It's sci-fi fantasy stuff, but he had a very feline walk. That's one of our questions. Always thought was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in a long shot. I was watching Malcolm McDowell walk, and he never did it before or after. But I was like, if I ever get a chance, I'm totally ripping that off. And I did that. So um, how, how does yeah. that, like, you see something, you want to bring it to the role. How mm-hmm. much, I guess, oh, in oh, a really, oh, yes. One more thing. Please. Okay, sorry, <laughs> here. Sorry. Not for okay. me to talk, this for is, you to talk. This is, I think, why they didn't kill me off. is because I did not do what Joss initially asked me to do. He, for the listeners, I, I cocked my head. Yeah, I know. question. Well, they, didn't, they didn't see me. But. You do exactly what the man says, and, you, and then you take all the credit, you know, because <laughs> they're not filming him. So you, everyone thinks you thought of that, when in fact you're just <laughs> painting by numbers, and they're his numbers. Uh, thank God. Thank goodness. But um, with one respect, he, he said, you are a soulless vampire. You do not feel for anyone you cannot love. And I said, right, boss, cool. And he walked away, and I remember walking away and going, F that. <laughs> if I play it like that, they are going to kill me off quickly. You got to find the love in storytelling or in any art, you know, because you write songs, you know, like, like it's got to be. It could be love corrupted or love stepped on or love confused. It doesn't have to be uh, flowery, wonderful. It's a beautiful day love, but it's, the love's got to be there somewhere. And I, I thought, I, I'm not going to go for soulless. I'm going to go for love. Yeah. And for me, it was the love of Drusilla. And just that weird dichotomy of how can he be this soulless killer, but he, he really is actually quite uh, tender with her. And I just mercilessly undercut the scripts, the, the initial scripts that were written uh, before the, uh, I started playing the character. I remember there was one, there's, there's a scene where, where Drew is laying on a table and she's talking about the stars. Yes. And, I'm, and, and I have a line like... Forget the second half. It was like, also, honey, those are the star. That's the ceiling, not the stars. Mm-hmm. And on the page, it's kind of snarky. It's kind of like, and you're insane, honey. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I gotta take the bile out of that. 
and I've just got to, I've just got to put my head in my hands and say, this is one of the reasons I love you because you can see the stars in the ceiling, babe. I'm just absolutely, I've just fallen in love with you once more. And just at every turn, try, try to, I guess, play him as if he had a soul. And that was absolutely selfish on my part because I was poor and this was the best job I'd ever had in my life. And, you know, I had a little baby at home. So, I mean, I could say I was doing it for a good purpose, but I was absolutely corrupting the theme, which was how do you get, how do you get through your adolescence? How do you get from childhood to an adulthood? How do you pass over this bridge where you're old enough to recognize that the world is messed up? And how do you, how do you get over that? without giving up on the world and on yourself. Mm -hmm. And vampires and the demons of Buffy were really just the metaphors for the specific challenges that you, that you face. Um, and, and, and Joss had a really good reason for having the vampires be soulless and not, not people that you want to have over for dinner. Uh, and mm -hmm. I absolutely undercut that out of, out of financial selfishness. So. But I'm sure you wouldn't have been permitted to undercut it if it wasn't working brilliantly <laughs> and probably didn't go on to inform because it's like our experience with Buffy now and, and so many of the villains in Buffy is they're not just evil and they're and, and, and the people who are on the good side are not just good. It's yeah. complicated. Yeah, he I remember reading an article that Josh, when Josh said that, that, that Buffy was teaching him that there are gray areas and not all villains are all bad or sort of something like that. Yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, oh God, thank God, I, I, may, have a, I may have a future <laughs> on this lot. Right. You know, like, um, and and uh, uh, so, yeah, so, so the theme grew. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> so before we get into the physical embodiment, and you talked a little bit about like walking like a cat. And yeah. There's so many physical aspects of Spike that, yeah are what makes Spike Spike. Mm -hmm. um, but I just want to hear a little bit. I know that we would all love to hear a little bit more um, to tie up this like, so you took Spike in a different direction. Spike, you know, was capable of love. Spike got extended throughout the series. How did that happen? Like, did you get to the end of season two and then you were told one more? Or did you know oh, a no. larger, like it no. was an episode at a time? I Yeah, I mean, like season two ended and that was the end. That was the end of the job. That's the most I could have hoped for was to survive the season. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had saved my money, and I was like, "Okay, it worked," you know. And but but <laughs> the ego in me, the, the huge actor emo ego, was like, "We'll try to do Buffy without me." Right? <laughs> and so then I tune in for season three, and I see Faith, and I'm like, "Oh no, <laughs> they don't need me at." Oh, just, oh my God! I was lucky to be on the show. Okay, okay, and I, and uh, and that was it, man. And um, and then they had me back for you know they had Drew and Spike back for the one episode in season three. There was no plan to bring them back any more times than that. It was I don't know why they did it that one time, but they decided to revisit it, and that was it. Uh, and then Angel spun off, and they lost Cordelia, and. Right. Cordelia was the, the character that told Buffy, you know, you're stupid and we're all about to die. So, <laughs> um, they needed a new Cordelia. And uh, Joss was wondering and having a conversation with Sarah about who could be that. And Sarah actually said, well, about Spike. 
Wow. And so they, they, they brought me in. And that's why you see in, in season four, I'm running in under a smoking blanket because they were, they were trying to figure out how do you get this guy in the room so he can tell Buffett that she's stupid and we're all going to die. <laughs> but yes. they're, all, they're all hanging out in the daytime. So, so it's just, you know, like I just remember just day after day, like you're in a blanket and they pump this. It smells like frankincense, so it's nice, but it's smoke, man. Oh. And you're just like, <laughs> and go on the set, you know, and my eyes are streaming and, and everyone's complaining about the smoke. And I'm thinking, this is not working. Like, I don't know if I'm the new Cordelia. Uh, and at that point, I thought, well, they're going to they're going to kill me off because I can't fulfill the need that they have. And then Anya came in and I think she she functioned much better as that character in a very different way than Cordelia but sure. she kind of took the like Joss has this wonderful need to to take can I say piss you can say take the piss anything. out of the league you know <laughs> like he's a subversive artist and so you know yeah. just the fact that you're a lead on a Joss in a show by Joss means that you're going to be undercut a yeah. lot uh-huh. which I really respect mm-hmm. uh, because everyone's equal and yeah. you know so yeah, uh, a lot of the credit for Spike continuing actually is with Joss, who was willing to uh, investigate a character uh, that was directly opposed to his theme. Mm. And and yeah, I think that it, it was working. I was at the right time in my life. I had the right experience level. All of that stuff was working. But the fact, like, if it was me, I'd have killed. I'd have killed Spike off immediately. <laughs> like the moment the moment that, that that I started getting feedback from fans that they like this character wow. and that they think he's sexy uh gone <laughs> out that I would not I wouldn't let him catch fire the moment I saw a spark like that he'd be out talk more about that like you during the role during your portrayal of Spike it was upsetting to you that people found the character as appealing as they did and as sexy as they did yeah, well, I mean, oh God. On the one hand, there's the ego, and you're like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, because like I was a, like a total nerd in high school, right? And I and I came down to Los Angeles playing nerds, and I'm like, I'm hot. Oh my God, you know. <laughs> like, and meanwhile, I'm I'm wearing more more makeup than Buffy, so like there's a reason <laughs> that I'm hot, you know. But I am hot, you know. Like I'm looking at the show, and it's it's wonderful. So yeah, so the, on the one hand is ego. The other hand is really being respectful of what Joss is trying to do. And that was that was what drew me mm-hmm. to it in the beginning with the hyena episode. Yeah. And, and, and realizing that to some extent I'm, I'm undercutting that. And I, I remember going to conventions when the show was still on and just going, guys, to the audience, like, if you meet a spike, don't date him. <laughs> if he's mean to other people, he will be mean to you. Mm-hmm. And running into kind of a wall uh, and, and them not wanting to hear that. Right. I was going to say, are you listening, everyone? Because we all have this problem yeah. <laughs> with Spike. And yeah. I think, you know, Jenny and I have been having a lot of fun with uh, exploring it this time around because, you know, I'm asking myself and a lot of our listeners are asking ourselves, like, what what does it say about us that, like, this character is the most appealing character mm-hmm. to us? And, like, investigating that and looking at that. So I think there's more to it also, right, than just killing off the character because we didn't kill off you didn't kill off the character and now a lot of us are like let's investigate why we have these feelings that we have which is also powerful yeah well why do you think that is 
I don't know. I think that for especially in the '90s uh, and before the '90s, I think like the the bad boy was mm-hmm. just a thing that for us, especially for women, we mm-hmm. were told like this is sexy, right? Yeah. You can't reach him. You can't. I'm speaking as a queer woman too, but it it got in like you yeah. you can't reach him. Yeah. Oh, Jenny's doing a thinking face. Oh, what do you sorry. got? No, please. Well, I also was just gonna say, um, as Spike gets expanded across the series, especially in season four, when he's like starting to hang, he's been chipped, which like also, you know, he comes in as a substitute for Cordelia, uh, is supplanted by Anya, but then kind of becomes like the post angel angel in terms of looking at a vampire that's not killing people. It's for different reasons. Like there are different questions of morality that come in, but Spike also is significantly more emotionally intelligent than like anyone else in the room in season four when he's around like socially like willow is destroyed and nobody knows it everyone's like oh she's getting over us mm. great she seems fine and like spike is the only character who's like are you all blind yeah mm-hmm. you know and we see that over and over again so i think there's something to be said and also like the the tenderness that we've seen him display for drusilla like there's a there's more than just one thing going of course, on mm-hmm. of course right and it's not it's not just I mean, I don't even think that the like trope of the the bad boy is simple. It's like, yeah. you know, he always or they always have like a soft side. And like, that's kind of what's appealing. That's what's intriguing is sort of like, well, this is the exterior. But like, can I get to the interior and like really find out what makes this person tick? Which I think mm-hmm. is a huge part of what makes Spike's character so attractive and so attractive to so many is that we get to see both not both but all sides of the character especially as the series goes on yeah yeah i i uh i've asked myself that many times what is it and this is like this is just a hypothesis on my part but i wonder what you guys think about that the, the, the bad boy or the rebel character is someone who's not just following orders He's not just going along with the template provided. Mm. He's showing some intelligence or some, um, I don't know if leadership is the right quality. But like independence. You know, yeah, independence, you know. And there's a strength to that, potentially. It's just when he's ripping people apart, you know, that's that's the red flag. We forgive Spike (laughs) a lot. We forgive Spike a lot for a lot. This is it. It's right right in the... um, what was it? The poet, poetics. Uh, the Sophocles wrote that. It's, it is part of performance. Is the joy of watching someone have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so so that's, obscene. It's so obscene. It is, but it's or, fascinating. It's potentially obscene, if not for Joss Whedon, who who really. He made the decision to to include Spike in the series, and then he immediately started undercutting him and taking him down off that high mm-hmm. ladder of cool, you know, until we get to the Hawaiian shirt and so you know, like, <laughs> you know just constantly uh, getting him down to a level where he, where you could actually start to work with him. And of course, me, like if you ask any actor what you know, what do they think you should be done with your character? They're always it's some version of make me look cool. That's it. That's all we got. <laughs> And and uh, and so I hated the Hawaiian shirt. I, I thought you're turning me into a clown. Right. You know, it's not working. You're gonna you're gonna turn me into a clown and flush me off. And uh, that was just my fear. You know, when they when we went back and 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 met Spike before he became a vampire, I I was surprised. Like I thought of a character this badass has got to have been badass before he was a vampire. That's just how I thought of yeah. it. Yeah. Because that's as far as my imagination takes me. Um, but Joss's way way better than, I am, you know, he, he went the opposite way. Joss 
described uh, Spike as the ultimate poser when the script came out. Um, he was made into a vampire. Like, we all pose. We all, uh, we try to look tough sometimes when we're scared. We try to look cool fairly constantly. Uh, <laughs> and, and he can get away with it. He can, he can put up this front because he can actually live up to it because he's a vampire. He can beat people in fights. Mm -hmm. He looks really cool. Um, and, uh, but that's not the original him. It's the Spike persona is something that he put on like a coat. It's the, it's the, it's the Oz that Joss always wanted to be Oz in high school, but he is in fact Xander. And mm. I'm sure that William always wanted to be like Spike, Spike and always dreamt of it when no one was looking. And then mm. he became a vampire and decided to give it a whirl and people bought it. So he went with it. <laughs> And I yeah. think you you know you know you mentioned Faith, and I think that's such a similar thing that we see with Faith. The armor we see we see her armor, we see Spike's armor, and we see their vulnerabilities. And maybe the universality of that is that we are always trying to look cool and be cool. So when we can see the transparency of somebody who is like trying to be cool, it's effective. But we see like oh they doubt themselves too. They're confused too. Yeah, there's this, power there. This with any character to be uh, successful, the audience has to say oh I've felt that way or I've tried to do that. Yeah. And and that's why that's why Joss started taking me down that that ladder of cool. Totally. So that that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Jenny. Take us somewhere. Where do you want to go? Well, since you mentioned that vampires can beat people in fights, can we talk about fights a little bit? Yeah. Uh, and stunts. And um, like, I feel like we've read that you did a lot of your own yeah, stunt work. Many, Actually, yeah. Kristen was just interviewing. I just interviewing. talked to uh, Jeff Pruitt and Sophia. Oh, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, I just, I was oh, in Atlanta sure. and I talked to them and I actually asked, I was like, so how many stunts did James do? They yeah. said you could do the, there's a name for it that I forgot where you can flip off your back onto kip. your feet. A kip, yes. Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, yep. So yep. I did learn that, did but yeah. I remember when they let me do the most heinous gag I mean, for, 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 for non-stuntman, so Sophia, yeah, right? She, like, she was uh, <laughs> priceless. She made the show work on such a deep level that it was just like, you're doing fights with Sophia, and it's like, don't hurt Sophia. I'm like, what's the point of a stunt person? Like, you don't get it, you know? Like, <laughs> just don't mess up, because we need her so bad, right. you know? And so <laughs> there was an episode where uh, Buffy leaps She's above Spike. She leaps down on him. Spike grabs her and turns her over and, and crashes her into a glass table, and the glass table shatters. And the glass table is a, um, uh, is a metal frame. It's a heavy metal frame. And, um, and they wanted me to do the gag. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm steering her down here. If I miss the mark and her head gets on the metal frame, or if I don't put her right down where her pads are, we're... This is bad. Yeah, you can say we're fucked. Yeah, we're fucked. <laughs> you know? And plus, I liked Sophia a lot. You know, like she was awesome. So, um, I was really nervous. You know, and and but they they by that time they trusted me to do it. And I and, and I remember feeling all you know very honored that they would trust me with a gag like that, and also just scared shitless. Uh, and they and I remember I did it once, and it was they got a good shot, and they said, "Great, let's go again." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I like, didn't hurt her the first 
I'm an actor. <laughs> like that was really good, but guys, you yeah. know, no, yeah. they, they did it. We did it twice. Wow. It's just insane. Yeah. Were you like coming into the series? Were you already like an athletic person, or did you pick up a lot of that on set and for the role? I uh, well, you know, I I'm trained in judo and. Um, on stage, you don't get a stunt, man. Right. So, and also, uh, you know, when you do a lot of, when you do regional theaters, you do a lot of classics because you don't have to pay rights to dead guys. So <laughs> they, there's a lot of, you know, like in Shakespeare, there's always people flying around in swords and fights and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And um, and so it behooves one to to be able to do that stuff. And I and I um, I got good at it. On, I got good at it stage. In fact, I started to do a little small time choreography on stage. Like they'd hire me wow. if you had a play that that had a few stunts but not a lot, and you wanted to save money, <laughs> you'd hire James to come in, and, like <laughs> like get get you know put the moves around so that the actors wouldn't hurt each other. You know, uh, mm. when it wasn't it wasn't a fight show, but there might be one scene where something happened, you'd, you'd have me in. Yeah, um, but uh, I remember. Um, John Medlin was another one of our stunt stunt coordinators for Buffy, and I, I, I was working on Runaways. Uh, and this is last the season one, and there was a scene where my character Victor um, chokes a teenager uh, to death, mm -hmm. and I, I came to the set and I and I just told the person, I said it's 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 really important for me. I'm going to be checking with you. You're probably going to get annoyed because I'm going to be checking with you constantly that that you're okay, that you're comfortable. Because I have to, as an actor, I have to have fun. And I can't have fun if I think that you're uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. the, so hopefully this is going to look really gnarly on, on screen, but hopefully we're going to have fun. And, um, uh, and we go to do the first take, and it looks horrible. It looks really, really good. Right? <laughs> really, really, really horrifying on, on, on the, the screen. And they yell, cut. And I check with the person. I wish I could remember her name. Um, and she says she's fine, and we kind of kind of laugh. And I hear John Medlin, who's who's the stunt coordinator for the season, and he's like, "Oh my God, it's Marsters! <laughs> Why was I worried? Oh, we're gonna be fine. It's, no, I'm going home now." You know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, I brought I brought some of that with me. But I used to say, uh, I still do to stunt coordinators if I got any stunts coming up. I always. It's hard to do this on a podcast. I put a frame around my face and I say black belt. Then I put a frame around me from the waist up and I say green belt. And then I put a frame around my entire body and I say bullshit. <laughs> so if you have me in close up, I can look like Bruce Lee. Like, I, like right. I, I'm acting and I got all the sneers down and I can shake off my sweat in a manly way or whatever. <laughs> if you have me in what we call a cowboy, which is mid thigh up to head, then I can do meat and potatoes very proficiently. But if mm -hmm. you want a full body shot of me doing triple flips and Bang, you know, banging off walls and stuff, get a professional. Right. Because that's, that's not, well, I'm not that good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I did too many of my own stunts. And I, by the end, by the time Angel came down, I couldn't walk. Wow. Whoa. My body, my back just seized up. Like, cut, wrap, and the body just goes, and now you're screwed. And, <laughs> and I, for like three or four months, I would crawl from my bed to my apartment elevator down to the car, drive to Accutonics. If you ever need a chiropractor, Accutonics. It's like acupuncture and both. 
Both. Uh-huh. There's two two guys, and uh, and they they share a practice, and they and they they practice together. Wow. And uh, I went uh, two or three times a week for for six or nine months, and uh, they got me back, uh, and I'm fine now as long as I do the exercises that they that they gave me. Right. Uh, but yeah, I had a I had a, a disc. One of the discs bulged out, <sighs> and it, oh, it was horrible. It was so bad. <laughs> And so now, you know, now I'm like, you know, stunt people, yeah. I will fly, <laughs> yeah. fly through the candy glass, yes, you know. Yes, but part yes. of me is, part of me, it's so fun. Yeah. Like that's, the, the fight days were always my most fun because yeah. uh, you're moving. Stunt people are, they're black belts in general, uh, are humble and happy and they don't have anything to prove. And they're not, there's no, they don't have fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, of a physical assault or anything. And people tend to act weird when they get fearful. And that's just erased for someone who's really, really good at taking people apart. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so in my experience, like stunt crews have always been some of my favorite people to hang out with. So yeah. I always love doing stunts. I remember when I worked with John uh, Barrowman, uh, and we both come from theater, and we con- conspired to not let the stunt crew. We did a big fight in a bar, and... Uh, and we, it was like, how, how few shots can we get this done? Today? <laughs> they, got, they got in for two shots. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I had learned by that point that um, you need to let the stunt crew in for at least one shot. I remember Steve Tartaglia, who was the other spike, the stunt spike. Uh, um, yeah. He came up to me one day and he goes, you know, James, we're all... As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. All so impressed that you do all these stunts. Good job, really. But just so you know, if I get on camera, my pay doubles. So if you could keep that in mind. Right. And so we would, we, when the script came out, we would meet together and we would identify the shot where I could say, oh, I don't want to do that. Or, or, or failing that, maybe, you know, your ankle could be sprained today or something like that. Incredible. Talk to us a little bit, if you will, yeah. about some of Spike's physicality and like the bleached hair, the black nails, the cigarette smoking, the accent. Mm -hmm. uh, you can pick one or all of those. Maybe just tell us a little bit more. How did you mm. come to the accent? Did they paint your nails every day? Like what, whatever yeah. stories come to mind about those like. The nails, um, I actually did like they wanted to paint the nails black. And I was like, that's great. But. This is a character that sleeps in alleyways. This is a character who fights a lot, so it should be messed up. Mm -hmm. And so they would paint it on, and then I would just go and find a bit of metal on the ground. There's a screw or some bit of metal everywhere on a set. And, so, <laughs> uh, and I would scrape them, but I would want them to look like shattered glass so that it would be a really long scrape uh -huh. and that the, the points would be really long. Uh, so you did this. Yeah. It was like James's <laughs> nail salon on set. Yeah. <laughs> but you had to catch the nail before it really dried. It had to be semi-dried. And then it was really uh, easy. It just mm. took a couple seconds to get, get that done. See, it's uh, these little things that just <laughs> will delight, right? And now every time we see your nails on screen, we're going to think about you. Yeah, but it wasn't HD, so no one, <laughs> right. like, you can't even right. tell. You know? But we'll all appreciate yeah. it now. It's the, the extra effort, man. I used to, the coat, I used to, I used to ask them politely every night, please don't clean the coat. Please leave it filthy. Wow. And every night they would clean it so that every morning I had to roll around in the dirt. <sighs> because the camera actually likes things to look dirty. They like, it, the camera likes things stressed and it likes things scratched. It's just more interesting than a, than a perfectly clean mm -hmm. thing. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes that's why... Television can look a little cheesy because things are perfected a little too much. Whereas in movies, like hair looks askew sometimes and coats look used and it just kind of mm. reads more real. Yeah. And I, I would I would wad the coat up, especially in the beginning uh, when it was new. I, I would wad it up and ask Transpo to just roll over it a few times, <laughs> just to try to get it, you know, to like beat it up. A yeah. Little bit. Like it's this is he didn't just buy the coat. You right. Know? Like it's been through something already. It's like what I used to do with my Converse sneakers. Yeah. Couldn't be shiny. Yeah. Just scuff them up. <laughs> and I I remember in the beginning I used to offer my coat to Sarah uh, on cold nights. And it was the gentlemanly thing to do because she's, she's often, you know, dresses Buffy. They, you're not dressed for warmth, right? You know? and, but then there was only one coat the entire time. So, so by the end, like season seven, that coat's been through hundreds of fights, and James sweating like on the sweater, <laughs> and demon pus and blood sure, sure. and all of this stuff that's flying around. And I would be like, "Would you like my coat?" So she'd be like, "You oh, no, <laughs> get that away from me, no way, no." Wow. So wait, there's like no double of the coat. There's just one coat no, that they like one, kept around for the entire yeah, series. Wow. One, one coat in all the world. One coat. <laughs> and then Steve had a coat. So there was there was a stunt coat mm. and there was the spike yeah. coat. 
Um, and, and you don't have that coat is what I've read, right? No, Somebody no, has that coat. Yeah. Did you get to keep anything from set? They offered that I could, well, Costum said, if you want to steal the coat, we won't tell on you. <laughs> but I, uh, I, running a theater, one of my least favorite things was actors who stole costumes. And I was, mm. I was bare bones. And so that really was a problem for me. For 20th Century Fox, it probably wouldn't have been. But I, again, this is ego. No, I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then I heard that it got sold for $250,000 three days later. Jeez. And I was just oh, like, God. why did you come down to L.A.? For college money, right? You could have gotten all the college money right there, one right. coat, but you didn't do it. God, so. I want, if it sold for $250,000 in 2002, oh whatever God, it was. Just buy Apple stock and I'd be like, right. oh my God. Anyway, wasn't anyway. Meant to be. wasn't meant to be. The one thing that I did keep was the t shirt that I auditioned in and the one we used initially. Um, it, it, for me, it was just the only black t shirt that I had. It had a, the back of it says Bernard Movers on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, it was like all my other T-shirts. You know, like a T-shirt, like if you keep it around a really long time, all the cotton yes. goes and yes. it's just yes. the, the whatever's left. Yeah, well, I don't know whatever's left. The knit mm -hmm. that's left and it's really kind of soft and yes. cool and nice. And so but that was my, my wardrobe because I was that poor. Um, but they loved the way that shirt hung on me because it was messed up and, and mm -hmm. different but they could not find another t-shirt in los angeles that messed up so did that <laughs> so, shirt get used in the show yeah too? And, wow. and the thing the funny thing is is that it they couldn't double it like usually you don't film anything that you don't have another one of in case something happens you can switch out quickly and you don't lose time mm. um but they couldn't double it they did nothing nothing would double that shirt so this 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 old rag that i used to really just clean up spilled sauce on the kitchen floor which suddenly became like the shroud of turin and you know oh the t-shirt no. you have a t-shirt on be very careful at lunch you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, wow before we before we round the bend into into more conversation uh that's deeper and more nuanced since we're talking yeah. about things like your coat your nails your hair yeah. uh i would love to to jenny's complete embarrassment mm. play you the spike jingle wow. all of our listeners really want you to hear it if that's yeah. okay with you james um, i would also be fine if you plug your ears <laughs> well as long as we can say we technically played it in the same room that okay. would be fine here it goes it's very 12 seconds long Well, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're, you know, uh, yeah. because you make music as well, that when you're writing a song, sometimes you just have to sum up a very universal theme. Yeah. And in our sub universe, uh, the, you know, one of the biggest themes is spike is cool. Yeah. So that is the spike is cool. I, I, love, I just I love your vocals, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. You should never tell singing never mind. Oh, that's but fine. It's really, that's that's a, that's a good punk sound. Right? Oh, thank you. Well, we try so to tailor the sound of the jingles too to the characters. So obviously, yeah. that's very. Here's, a, here's spiky. another one that if they were talking about putting a making a Spike uh, TV show 
not for a long time. <laughs> You're like, Actually, calm down, everybody. It's jo- not, yeah, Josh goes, Josh goes, hmm, a male vampire spinoff of Buffy. What should we call that? How about Angel? <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't really get off the ground. But for a little while, there was, there was this, and I was like, Josh, if we go, then this should be the theme song. And it goes on. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, how do you not just build a show around that? That that is worthy of a show. And he was like, Spike was like, well, what about the thing about she's got him by the balls? Like, do we want to use that? I'm like, yes. (laughs) It's the whole whole character right there. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But yours was just a lot lot to think about. I like that. (laughs) A lot to think about. I like that, Jen. Oh, I feel like we're in kind of a a sexy space. We just heard a lot of punk music. So maybe now is a great time to talk about like Spike's sexuality and vampire sexuality. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's start with Spike specifically and maybe just Spike's relationship, right? We see, at least in the course of, of Buffy the series, Spike with Drew. Spike with Harmony, mm-hmm. Spike with Buffy. There's that yeah. Spike with Faith and Buffy's body thing that we just, <laughs> that's the episode we're just on right now. But uh, My first screen kiss was uh, that. Wait, what? Yeah, that was, yeah, I remember we had that 14 takes. And Sarah was just like, James, we get that you're an actor. <laughs> we get that you're passionate. And we all appreciate that very much. But this is a, this is, this is a, a, a glamour shot. And they've got to do it by the numbers. Glamour is hard to make. So, so you just got to come in at the right speed. Don't press too much or our lips are going to go like that. <laughs> Don't get into it or we're never going to get the shot. Think of it like a stunt. Stop acting. Huh. And I kept trying to stop acting. But like Spike was in love with Buffy. He thought finally he's getting a kiss from Buffy. And it was so hard to turn that off. And finally, the, after you know, 10, 11, 12 takes, I finally got beaten down into just doing it by the numbers. And that's what's on. She was trying to help me out, you know. Well, the translation, I'm sure, from all the theater background you had to screen. It was just, it's just that glamour is not real. Something that's glamorous, like the word glamour actually means uh, illusion. So Mm -hmm. the more glamorous an image is, the more, the more divorced it is from reality. And so it is, and therefore is, is, is harder to capture on film. It's hard Mm -hmm. to create an event that looks that way. And there's nothing less sexy for me than doing a love scene or anything glamorous because there's just like, uh, no, no, just a little tiny more to your left as you go, like going to kiss her. No, no, no. Just back out. Now tilt your head. Too much. Go back. Okay, that's perfect. Now go in and action. No, 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 no. Yeah. 
so it's a very technical process, just like stunts. Right. Know? And I was, just, I was mm. like that actor who was trying to act in stunts and hurting someone. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. hurting Sarah because she wanted to go home and rest. <laughs> <laughs> Never got any sleep. They burned her to a crisp. Yeah. Did, did you approach your Spike's relationships to those three women different like intentionally differently like were there things that informed your love for drew in a way that i mean harmony was a, a whole other thing but oh yeah oh no they are very different very different spike and drew were were kind of soulmates buffy was the unattainable mm. and and harmony was the revenge yeah you know yeah mm. she was the revenge on buffy it's and like what, what was, are oh, the what, what are ariana so ariana grande's thank you next there's the one that taught this, the one that taught that, you know, that song. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, you know, yeah. patience, other stuff. Right. Love. I just, I'm yeah. wondering if Drew Harmony and Buffy fit into Ariana Grande's yeah. song. <laughs> I'm sure you thought that's where this interview Drew was going to go. Yeah. Drew is the one that, that, that saw him as he was and loved him anyway. And, or mm. was willing to be with him anyway. She's, she knew who William was mm -hmm. and what, how he transformed. And, and so she saw behind the mask and still dug him. So there was a, there was a connection there that, if she hadn't, I was going to say if she hadn't broken it up, but she didn't, did she? Because she recognized I was already falling for Buffy. Oh, you know, yeah. Buffy was um, was William within Spike calling out for something good, you know, and knowing that it could never be attained, that he would never really be able to get back to actually being good. Yeah, and then poor Harmony, who had who had to suffer the abuse metered out by a frustrated Spike who couldn't have Buffy. Wow. Yeah. Do you think with with what you just said, do you think that like Spike ultimately belonged with Drew? No, because he got a soul, you know, once he decided to do that and and Drew didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think that Buffy pulled him to be good again and saved him. Yeah. Are there other moments across the course of the series that come to mind when you think about William sort of surfacing within the context of Spike? Well, I guess constantly, because I mean, um, the reason that I was so uncomfortable with, with, with showing William as being this nerd before <laughs> he became a vampire is because that's me. You know, I was the overweight, fuzzy haired junior high school kid who couldn't get anyone to dance with him uh, mm -hmm. and loved Star Trek above all things, and who, who wanted to be an actor in Modesto, California, where if you weren't a football player, you were nothing. And if you were an actor, you were below slime, you know? And, and here I was fronting like I was like this cool vampire. Like, like directors would always say, you are nothing like your character. Like, well, thank God, you know? But, yeah. but like, you know, action. Hello, Buffy, how you doing? I'm so cool, all right? So I don't care about anyone. Cut. Hey, guys! <laughs> you know? So, so there was a, the William in me is alive and well, and I never tried to really cover that up. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly not on set, and hopefully not on interviews. Hopefully, I don't try to cover that up in life, you know. Mm -hmm. But that, that he's there definitely, and he, and so he was, in ways, thankfully that I wasn't planning, mm. or might not have been aware of, but all the vulnerability and probably all the truth came from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I just, I didn't, I feel like Joss was pulling my covers and telling everybody what the real deal was and that I wasn't <laughs> as cool as everyone thought I was. Like, hey. Damn you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to make you interesting, kid. It's better than being cool. <laughs> <laughs> correct. He yeah. was correct. Yeah. 
Um, before we jump completely out of the, I mean, we can, we can go back and forth as much as we please, but I do want to talk a little bit about vampire sexuality yes, and desire yeah, because yeah. we see, I mean, obviously like we've talked about the relationships that Spike has uh, on screen, but there's also like sexual tension. I think what we think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Jenny, mm -hmm. but between Spike and Angel and between yep. like Spike Drew and Angel. And we often yep. look at vampires as sort of inherently bisexual. Yep. Just wondering like what your view on that is. And, and at the time, if that was part of the motivation. Yeah. You know, I, um, I always thought that vampires are a metaphor for different kinds of hunger and could be physical hunger, could be psychological hunger, sexual hunger, um, emptiness uh, that is seeking to be filled and destructive in how it's trying to fill a hole that can't be filled. Mm -hmm. and, then, and in that way, it kind of mirrors how human beings can become destructive when, they, when we feel a hole, when I feel a hole in myself that I'm not willing to uh, really deal with. I could try to fill that hole by buying something or by trying to dominate another person or uh, by trying to act cooler than I am and have people buy it or whatever, I, whatever that is, or, or, or start a sexual relationship with someone to fill that hole. And there's also the thing about vampires that it is, uh, you know, they're on the hunt. There's prey and predator kind of psychology going on mm -hmm. at all times, and that's carried into sexuality as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, there's also the thing about uh, vampires have kind of thrown off our norms. They're not constrained by our social norms. They're too old for that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so uh, the idea that, that I remember, you know, Angel and Spike, like I remember filming the scene with David and I think it was on Angel where, where that's alluded to. And we do the cut and they're, they're about to move on. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, David. Does that mean we slept together? And Dave was like, I don't know, man. Just move on. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I was just like, wow, okay. All right. <laughs> um, um, but the show plays both shows. The, that universe plays with that so much. I mean, I think vam anything that, that deals in vampires is sort of like the feeding is often sexualized. It's like you're watching a feeding, but what are we really talking about here? Yeah. You know? Seduction. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and that's uh, another great thing about Buffy. You know, like it, it, it could have probably, I don't know, he, Joss, Joss alluded to it. There were a few times about threesomes, I think, with Drew and, and yeah. Angel and I that we talked about. And, and it could have actually gone further. Um, but we were, we were freaking out people just, just on the fact that women can kick ass. People were freaking out about that. So. Totally. I mean, it <laughs> took, right, it took until season four to have Willow and Tara in a, in a real substantive way. And, and that, that was so awesome. So great. I remember coming out of my trailer in a beautiful sunshiny day, like we made it. <laughs> like, cause I, I told you I'm a Star Trek fan. And one of the, like, if you ask any Star Trek fan about what you're proud about Star Trek, they always go to the first interracial kiss mm. on network television. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming out of my trailer, we got our kiss. <laughs> and it's teenagers. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, oh, it's so, revolutionary, oh truly, especially Sadly revolutionary, but revolutionary nonetheless. No, yeah, um, that is that is my proud moment. I wasn't there when it happened, <laughs> didn't write it, but I was on the show that did yeah. it. And I was just, oh my god, yeah. So, and then and then the musical took it to a beautiful metaphor as well. Yeah, it's like 
so many of us felt so seen with that. And, and you know, I mean, that, I bring it up in the context of what we're talking about, because yeah. probably if the show was made today, we would see Spike and Angel and Drew mm-hmm. more directly, you know, being sexual with each other or what have you. But we were in a different time and, and yeah. things were not as easily talked about. Yeah, we were pushing as far as we could, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we... We're chatting in London. You were telling us about your theater company and I, you described it as subversive and you were talking about some ideas that you were like uh, trying to explore, um, like challenging social norms, like old people are boring. Buying yeah. things can make you happy. Like yeah. that really like stuck in my head. And like I was just thinking about that so much in relation to Buffy. Like we see in genre shows, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, they're always like leading the charge because it is sort of like, it's the world we make. It's the world whoever is making the show is Mm -hmm. making, right? So there's like more leeway and like things seem to be more fluid. So there's often like more representation, like we were just talking about the first interracial kiss, the first uh, two women kissing, Mm -hmm. uh, first trans characters, um, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And I, I just feel like there's like so much overlap, at least from my perception, Big time. Uh, between like, the kind agree. of theater you were making and what a show like Buffy yeah. was able because to accomplish. Because there's plausible deniability. <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, we've there's... watched Willow and Tara like do spells right. together for half a season before <laughs> anything happens. Right. There's yeah, a, they're really very sweaty about? spells. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we can just claim, oh, it's just a vampire show. Why yeah, guys, yeah. Why are you so serious about it? Whereas if it was a if it was a cop show and, and really looked more like real life, mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be so much more pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we talked about it in London, but one of my favorite films is the original Star Wars, uh, which is the most successful bit of subversion that I think has ever been. Um, uh, George Lucas actually came up with the idea for Apocalypse Now to take the Conrad uh, Heart of Darkness uh, novel and put it in Vietnam. And the, the apocalypse now is basically why America lost the war, why the Viet Cong were actually much tougher than we were, why uh, our decadence had made us too soft for that kind of war. And we were not able to use our uh, air power, our technological advantage. We were forced down into, into the jungle where they had the advantage because they were just tougher than we were. They were the kind of there's a, a, a scene at the end of Apocalypse Now where, where a um, community has dinner and they're having cow tonight. And instead of going and buying have a burger at Burger King or buying a slab of meat at uh, the, the Safeway or whatever, um, they have a cow, they anoint the cow, they pray to the cow, they dance around the cow, and then they hack it with machetes. And it's in the beginning beautiful and then horrific to the Western mind. Right. But it's, it, it, it is actually much more respectful than, than what we do. <laughs> And um, so anyway, this is the mind that came up with this idea of Star Wars in which the, the, it was a metaphor. The, the, the evil empire is America. And the, uh, the Viet Cong are all the, the Ewoks and the people down in the jungle who are getting bombed. And, the, and there's mm. a superior, a technologically superior uh, force that is using air power to try to quell uh, native populations. And, and how the idea of empire is, in, is unstable. And as soon as, uh, as a culture defines itself as an empire, they're doomed. You're on an inexorable path toward, toward uh, destruction when you, as soon as you do that. Right. And, 
And he got that message out to the world in no uncertain terms. And it's not even, I think, it's not even important that he that people understand that specific, you know, who he was criticizing. He mm-hmm. because the point was made right. so clearly. Uh, and and so I agree with you. I think sci-fi and fantasy, we can say it and say it very directly, and 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 we can bypass everyone's prejudices and everyone's. Uh, whatever they think their worldview might be, when you say the truth, man, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, when Gandhi said, "If you if you give people clear water and muddy water, they'll they'll choose clear water every mm-hmm. time." And so you give them clear water, even if they disagree with it, <laughs> but you dress it up with you know mm-hmm. with fangs or spaceships, yeah. <laughs> and you can get that knife right up in the you know right into the inner organs before they even know you're in there. Uh, and for that reason, I absolutely love science fiction and fantasy. You know, artists, artists, storytellers, the intelligentsia, that we've been, we, a lot of forces try to, um, to silence us because I think that we push back effectively on authoritarian impulses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, Hollywood is much maligned, but I think it's nothing new. You know, artists are the first people to get strung up a lot of times when authoritarians take power. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking it's, about I think so off. Did I go off? Just the, no, not at all. It's okay. just, and that's yeah. what happens with this with this show. We're talking about this show, or really a lot of the shows that fall in this genre, is that you you're talking about the show, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're talking about what's happening right now. You mm-hmm. know that like, and I wonder. I mean, you know, it's it's. We're in Buffy now, Jenny and I, because we're going through it with yeah. our buffering audience. Um, but you're working on, you know, the Runaways and yeah. and things that are still in this this genre of of fantasy and um, sci-fi. I don't know. Jenny always yells at me when I call the wrong genre by the wrong thing. <laughs> it's not sci. This is not sci-fi. Uh-huh. This is fantasy. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Star Wars was fantasy. It wasn't actually sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. I know I'm outnumbered here. I definitely know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wonder if, if in your work now and and in the and in the past on mm-hmm. Buffy and and Angel, uh, if it's politics, if um, social consciousness has has wormed its way into the roles that you play, mm-hmm. um, or if your portrayal of the roles has been to echo uh, specifically things that are happening around us right now. I, I never try to inject that into a script. I mean, I always feel like the writer is the chef and the actor is the waiter. Mm. And all that I'm being asked to do is to get the plate from the kitchen to the table without dropping it, <laughs> you know, and maybe with a little style. But if I start twirling around, the plate goes everywhere. Yeah. And it doesn't really get delivered very well. So that being said, uh, because I do a lot of genre, I have been able, there have been a few times I've been been equally, well, it's just really one time that I was as proud to be on a show that I was on the pride level that it, that Buffy gave me, and that was on Torchwood, which was a spinoff of Doctor Who. Mm. And I went out, Russell T. Davis uh, was the executive producer, and he took me out to dinner before we started filming. He said, this is my Buffy. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. I thought he was just a Buffy fan, and this is a sci-fi, you know, it's it's a fantasy show. And and then I was doing an interview with the BBC in the rain. We were in a a, a van in Wales, and... uh, and they go, so what do you think about the homophobic backlash against Torchwood? <laughs> and they put the microphone in my face and I go, we have a backlash? We have a, we have a backlash! <laughs> yes! <laughs> this is awesome! 
awesome. We're getting, we're offending all the right people. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, and I started, John like screams up, we know we have a backlash. Get back to the interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but Torchwood, Torchwood has a, a, a main character who is, uh, unapologetically bisexual. Uh, and it's right up in your face and he's a hero. He is a, he is a full blown hero. And, you know, it seems one of the central themes of Buffy is that women can kick ass. Uh, I have the bruises to prove it. <laughs> if you're trained. <laughs> um, uh, and, 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 uh, LG, <laughs> that's all right LGBT. we can't even get it right yeah lgbt lgbt uh people can be heroes um and uh in my little way i was able to be part of that yeah yeah um and then the other the only other thing is that constant i played a lot of villains and uh i think that the truth is that there are no villains in the world there are there are people who are in pain for different reasons, and some of them, unfortunately, are spreading that pain uh, to others. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite playwright is Shakespeare, and he only wrote one villain. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote one. It was Iago, who took after um, Othello. And um, they asked Iago, why, why, did you, why did you destroy this man? And Iago just goes, and there's no reason, there's a pause. There's no real reason, uh, and that's interesting to me. But um, in the in general, he's he he, he wrote a lot of plays, and it's, he's, he never writes villains. He just writes mm -hmm. people who are causing chaos because they're in pain. Mm -hmm. And I try to make that point when I play a villain, mm -hmm. and not you know sometimes a director will give me direction that I think is toward just be villainous for no reason, and I'll be like, oh that's great. Oh I got an idea. I'll do. I'll just. Go like I'll just like twirl the mustache like in the close up. That'd help. That that'd go right to that, right? And they'll kind of laughing. Um, but uh, I yeah, I, I try to I try to always motivate the character and try to find them and try to not judge them mm -hmm. and realize that I have in my life been villainous, right? Uh, and I've also been a hero, you know. And it, it's it's uh, it depends on which day. I don't know if this if this segue is is going to work or not, but I'm going to try it anyway, because I think, so, you know, we, we talked even a little bit before we started taping about, um, Spike's arc, um, mm -hmm. and specifically about seeing red. It's, yeah. it's a moment that when Jenny and I began the series, we were like, Oh boy, yeah. what are we going to do when we get there? That's yeah. just two girls who like to watch the show. And so, you know, your experience in this, um, in the arc as Spike, um, through that episode, I'm sure I know from having read in other interviews that you've done was yeah. really complicated. And since we're talking about something that I think is portrayed so beautifully in Buffy, which is that um, we are not the worst of us, mm -hmm. right? That, that we see our, our most beloved characters. We see their darkest parts. Yeah. Uh, and this show allows those people to be more than just that one thing or just those dark things. Spike in seeing red yeah that's the darkest moment yeah. and i i would love to i mean maybe i'll just start in a general sense of like i would love to we would love to talk to you about that because yeah. for some people we i'm sure you hear way more than we hear but for mm -hmm. some people it's like well that's it 
that's Deal it breaker. for Spike. That's yep. no more Spike for me, right? Yep. But that's not what the show does. Mm-hmm. It's Spike's not done. Spike has more. And I think that there's something really powerful about the fact that this happens, but we continue to see Spike. Yeah. I guess I, I wonder what it tells us or what it can tell us about the, the darkness inside of people and what we do with that, what we, what we can do with that. Do we just take that person and their actions, put them in a room, close them in a, in a shut the door, that's it, no more talking to you? Or do we investigate it? Do we try to heal? Do we try to work? So that was yeah. not a If clean... that was true, I, no one would ever talk. I'd be in a closet. Yeah. You know, I've gone, right. I've gone, I have done things that if I had to watch them back on film, I would not forgive myself for Right. You know, I would, I, I'm sure that I have rewritten those moments to let myself off the hook in some small way to let me, so that I can go to sleep at night. But I've, I mean, I'm 57 years old. I've, I've lived long enough to make some huge mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, but, but you know what? Like, I'm one of those people who would be like, game over, Spike. If wow. I saw that, mm. like if I ever am watching a TV show and there's, there's a rape, Mm-hmm. I turn it off right away. I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. If there's a movie and I know that's happening, I don't go see that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of my childhood, uh, uh, that's just a hot button issue for me. And I know it's a personal thing for me, but I just uh, I can't I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, but and I that's think, why it was so I mean, you know, it was so personal, I think, for so many people at the time, too. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I, I mean, the, the larger point that uh, I love how you put it, that that we are not just our mistakes. Uh, uh, we're all a mixed bag, every one of us, I think. And I know I am. You know, the, the thing, that, that episode came from two places, I think. One was Joss's frustration that he was trying to remind the audience that Spike was bad. The whole season arc was that Buffy did the most heroic thing, died, went to heaven, got pulled back to earth, which is now comparatively hell for her. Mm. She has, she's now a mom effectively because, uh, Mm. um, Dawn is in the picture. She, you know, she's working in a freaking burger joint with a, with a (laughs) chicken on her head, you know? (laughs) Um, and, and she makes the mistake of, of reaching out to the spicy guy to reaching out to the bad boy so that she can feel alive in some way. Mm. Uh, or excited by something, uh, and how how much of a mistake that is, and how badly it can hurt you. Mm-hmm. And that we're progressing through this storyline, and the feedback they're getting is like, "Yes, we've been waiting for this. Oh, this is mm. the best thing. Oh, we love this." And Joss is just like, "What do I have to do right. to make this point? How far do we have to go before?" people are going to open their eyes to what the way that I want them to see this thing. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Mm. Um, the other thing is, is that, um, and this is one of the secrets of the, the Buffy writing that I think is, is why it was so good. It's not a bunch of adults writing about their teenage years, telling teenagers how they should feel about things. It's a bunch of adults remembering their teenage years and saying, this sucked for me. Am I alone? Does it, does, did anyone else go through anything like this? Because this is what hurt for me. Mm-hmm. And the way that that's a, they did that is it was it's called the themony. And <laughs> it's the theme of the show along with the enemy combined. Um, and what Joss was doing was asking his writers to come up with their worst day, the day that they don't talk about, or the day that hurts so bad that they can't talk about, or the day that they hurt someone uh, and, and, the, and the guilt of that 
keeps them up at night and then slap fangs on top of that dark secret and tell the entire world about mm-hmm. it. And, and so it was, a, it was an act of sustained vulnerability and bravery from the writing crew. Uh, they would come down to the set first day of filming, shoulders hunched, eyes down, afraid that someone was going to find out what they really had said. And, and uh, I'm so thankful that they're as brave as they were. Um, uh, but in this case, the script came from, from one of the female writers uh, in college, she, she, her boyfriend broke up with her and she went back to his place, uh, convinced that if they made love one more time, everything would be fixed. Mm. And she really threw herself on him in a very physical way. And he had to physically push her off and get her out of the apartment. And that was a very painful, uh, day for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the thinking was that since Buffy is a superhero and she's she's super strong and she can push Spike back to the point where he almost goes through the wall, that they could flip the sexes of that. Right. I remember when I saw the script, I was like, guys, <laughs> everyone who watches Buffy is Buffy. When I watch Buffy, I'm Buffy. And I'm not a superhero. So, like, it's true for the character, but for the audience experiencing this mm-hmm. and the vicarious experience that we're that we make our bread and butter in, right. that's going to land in a different way, guys. And I, I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, uh, like I said, I, 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 I don't like to watch scenes like that. If I don't, I don't take characters that do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to put <laughs> myself through it, but I was at that point contracted to do whatever they told me to right. do. Uh, I remember going into the set and telling the writer, you don't understand what you put us through sometimes. And I remember, um, I remember like I would do a take with Sarah and then I would go crouch in the corner of the set. And I remember thinking, if I just slam my head hard enough on the stage floor, I would just fly through it and escape. And it set me into a depression uh, and ultimately I got a really good therapist which is one of the reasons that I'm happy today <laughs> you know so it's like I don't take anything back yeah. I'm glad for all of it but but it, it it had an effect on on those of us who made the scene too I'm sure I mean to explore anything like that is traumatic for various reasons and you're talking about some of the silver lining of it right that you went to therapy and like discovered yeah. things and that's really powerful, but yeah. it's, it's so difficult for so many people to look at for so many different reasons. And, you know, flipping gender is complicated and that happens in the show a lot, but it's like ultimately at the end of the day, can we do that? Maybe not, yeah. maybe not yet anyway. Yeah. Um, um, it was, like I said, I think it, some of it was born of frustration of Joss not being able to find that thing mm-hmm. that is going to, going to make the point of, oh, she shouldn't be with Spike. I get it now. And uh, isn't and that something to be examined? That for that entire season, we all were like, yes, this. That like, you know, like there's so much to be examined in this episode, but also, and we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the interview. It's just like, mm-hmm. what is happening 
why do we need to get to that point to say, I am now traumatized and this is someone who is bad or this person is doing something bad. Um, And I wonder, and that's part of the, the thing that Jenny and I were talking about earlier too, is wondering your thoughts on if if Buffy were being made right now we'll talk we'll, we'll talk about the reboot in a second if we can call it that um but if if this Buffy were being made now yeah. do you think that that scene would happen or do you think that the conversation that we're having around survivors of sexual assault and things like this would have informed that choice differently I don't know man Joss is a fiery guy and he wanted people to hate Spike it, he might have gone there yeah. even more because of this yeah. mm. I don't know I'm not Joss right I don't know right. uh, uh, he's not afraid of offending his audience. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid of hurting his audience. He's not. Uh, he's not after a painless experience. When he when he watches stuff, he, mm. he wants the full roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Like it, it. I just keep thinking like if I was Joss and I'm trying to write this, and the audience is just absolutely not just refusing to 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 see the truth that i see which is if if a boyfriend's mean to other people he's going to be mean to you mm-hmm. this is true yeah and and he's putting his he's making something that's seen by young people and he's feeling a responsibility to put out what he thinks is the truth about this and 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 he keeps and and, and it just descends and spike just keeps doing worse and worse things and nothing is working until finally he just pulls out all the stops and does the absolute worst thing that anyone can think mm-hmm. of uh, on the flip side, you know, that, you know, Joss has got a big game plan and he's going to be redeeming Spike. So Spike's got to do something that he himself recoils at so completely that, mm. he, that it gets him to go seek uh, help and get his soul. <laughs> right. You know, and, and certainly uh, that's a very painful uh, firewalk for him. Yeah. And, and uh, um, do you want to ask yeah. your... No, 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 no. No? No, no, no. Oh, no, no, ask it. What? No, I've well, there's, said soul. There's, I feel like you just kind of like... Answer. Answered it by virtue of talking about um, what you just said, uh, mm, okay. which is there's a, there's a interpretive divide in the viewership of um, whether or not uh, regaining his soul was intentional, um, mm-hmm. whether it was get the chip out or restore my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've encountered people who viewed it both ways. Yeah. I, we're in season four now, so it'll be like a minute before we get back to season six. Yeah. I always, and maybe I'm just like a, just a very, so such a gullible TV viewer that uh, I just like, they, they like create the misdirect and then do the reveal. But I'm like the misdirect, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I always have viewed it as, oh, uh, he didn't expect to regain his soul. He just thought he was going to get his chip out so he could be uh, a proper vampire again. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what you just indicated was definitely intentional, definitely soul restoration. Yeah, and 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 you you are uh, you are also right because the way that Joss writes is he keeps his options open, mm. and, <laughs> and he he likes things to be a little confusing as well. Uh. Uh, but he did tell me that, like like when we were when we were doing it no one would tell me because it was, it was really important for me as an actor to know what is my objective? <laughs> right. you know, what am I trying to do? Yeah. That's my job, you know? And they were like, well, we don't know yet. You know, like, so play it both ways. Sometimes one way, sometimes the other. Wow. And I'm like, Oh my God, like come, guys, this is like a central thing of the, of the character. Like, yeah. please. But, uh, by the time the arc was finishing up, he said, no, we're, we're coming down on the, This is, 
definitely something you chose. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you wind up the universe, so that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he was trying to misdirect, definitely. Yeah. But it, you know. So let's maybe talk for just a hot second about the reboot since yeah. we're all here. And did you know that this was happening or did it did it arrive on your social media dashboard social media. just like everybody yeah. else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have thoughts or feelings, opinions? I think the world needs another slayer. Hell I yeah. think there are some demons and some vampires around. <laughs> and I think that we can metaphorically go uh, rip their throats out. I think that would be... Wouldn't that be uh, nice? Yeah. That think, would be lovely. I, I, yes. I think that uh, the, the, time is, the time is never... There's, there's always a time. Uh, sadly, probably in my lifetime, there will always be a, a need for a slayer. I hope someday that uh, those demons are gone, but not yet. So uh, I think I'm hungering for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that... Um, from what I know, and I probably know about as much as you guys know, <laughs> that the writer of it is a really good writer for television. And, you know, being a television writer is a specific kind of ability because you are writing in long form. It's not writing a movie. It's not writing a novel. Novels and movies are like a poem to a television writer. <laughs> they really have to think in long arcs. Yeah. Um, um, so apparently, she, you know, she cut her teeth and she decided to become a writer while watching Bob. So it's deep in her DNA mm -hmm. as a writer. Mm. Uh, and I think that's really good. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a passion there uh, that I think, uh, hopefully, I think it will be expressed. And I, I think uh, the fact that Joss is on board, Joss is going to be involved with it. Mm -hmm. uh, it means that it's going to have the special sauce on the burger. <laughs> and um, uh, and I'm, I'm, I am... I'm glad that a woman is going to be helming it this time yeah. because that was always... A little bit dodgy mm. uh, that we're writing about this, but the the, the lead on it is a man mm -hmm. who's trying his best, and he was an ardent feminist. Mm -hmm. All good, you know. <laughs> there's some things that he doesn't really hasn't lived through. Yeah. Uh, and and for a long time, Marty Noxon actually was a showrunner on uh, on Buffy, and uh, so so for a long time uh, uh, it had female stewardship. Buffy, mm -hmm. but it, yeah. but I, I think that 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 having a, a a woman be the creator of the new universe mm -hmm. is going to have its own good thing. Um, and uh, obviously having it be a new slayer with a new name and a new group and not trying to retread what has done be been done before is probably the, definitely the best yeah. way to go. I, <laughs> I think that's why the, the internet lost its mind at first. We were like, yeah. what are you, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And then they found out what the deal was. Yes. Like, oh, okay, okay. Well then that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have high hopes for it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we all we all do. We're pretty excited. Yeah, in my in my little fantasy realm, I would love to play the new Watcher, but not Spike, but like you know, like kick ass guy and sound a bit like Tony Head, of course, but not not be polite at all. No, you're horrible, yes. Buffy. Do it again. Do it again. People did ask us to try to get you to do the accent. So no, I don't know. do it anymore. Don't <laughs> stop talking about it. It's a long time ago. I can't do it anymore. I've been practiced. <laughs> I think my actual personal favorite Spike accent is Spike doing an American accent. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, I'm really with Xander here. <laughs> the Xander is really yeah. a great word to chew on in that Spike American accent. Um, all right. Is there anything? I have, I have one question from one of our, our listeners that I think will tie things up nicely when we get to the end. But mm -hmm. is there anything that we haven't asked you that you want to talk about? I mean, we've talked about some broad things, some specific things. Are there any stories or um, fun things you would like to 
share with us? It's so weird, you know, because um, memory is a funny thing. Uh, I don't remember a lot. Mm. Like, I'll watch this show sometimes. I'm like, I don't remember filming that at all. <laughs> or it'll be embarrassing. Mm. Someone will ask me about a specific scene and a specific line, and I'll be like, I don't know. And the, the, the perception is that, that I'm just one of those actors who don't care. But the truth is, is that we were, we were working 12 to 20 hours a day, Jesus. five days a week, um, 80, 80 or 100 hours a week. Uh, and then every other weekend, I would go drive 500 miles to visit my son. Wow. Uh, and so we were all tired. Like, we used to play a game of, like, quick, what did we film this morning? <laughs> and no one would be like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. We're doing this now. Yeah. I know my lines for this now. Um, and the, <laughs> the short-term memory just evaporates at that point when you're that tired. Like, I went to levels of, of tired there were people that would refuse to work on Buffy because they knew what the hours we all over LA. Everyone knew that Buffy just does insane hours. Mm -hmm. uh, so, God, specific memories. Uh, it's like <laughs> also like but then you say something and something is triggered. Yes, and then then I then it comes back. But I would like to give a shout out to James Contner, who directed more episodes than anyone for Buffy. Um, he, it was just. A, it was said that if you can direct an episode of Buffy, you can direct anything because Buffy has all the different elements of romance, mm. horror, humor, stunts, makeup mm. effects, special effects. It's got everything going on at all times. And he directed about a third to half of the shows of, I mean, he's all over the place. I was going to say, we say his name a lot. Yeah. So. And, <laughs> and he, he was such a steady hand and a kind man. And uh, a loving man, and just I can't say enough good about him because we were all very passionate about trying to make the show good. We were all pressured, trying to live, try, like all of us were feeling like I'm gonna I'm gonna be the bad one. I'm gonna be the one that doesn't live up to this script. I've got to try mm -hmm. harder, and and uh, and it can make you crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get really tired, and it was uh, like I. I love all the people that I shot with on Buffy. I've seen the best and worst of them. Um, I feel like they're family, and I've and I know them in a full way, and I love them in the full way. Mm -hmm. um, but like any family, there was there were times that we needed a steady hand, and he was always that. Wow. Yeah. We have spoken. We have gotten the chance to speak to several people who have worked on the show, and you can feel it as a person who wasn't there and speaking to literally from some of like monster of the week actors who were on set to, to you, you yeah. know, <laughs> that there was an energy, something there that many people say was not on other sets that they were on, no. that it and was very special. It's the writing. You know, I, I remember <laughs> I was doing my first Shakespeare, uh, my first professional Shakespeare. It was at the Goodman. We were doing The Tempest. And I was freaked out as a young actor. And I remember asking this guy, Bob Scoggins, this wonderful character actor, uh, horrible teeth, but uh, <laughs> great character. He played villains. And I'm like, Bob, we're over beers at the Goodman Bar. And I'm like, Bob, what's the secret to doing professional Shakespeare? And he just sits back, takes a sip of his beer, and goes, Kid, stand up straight, say your lines clearly, and get the hell off stage. <laughs> and... 
And that was probably the best advice I've ever been given. Uh, a lot of the fact that I was able to make this transition from stage to film is Anthony Head. Mm. Uh, I remember when I first shot with him, uh, I remember thinking, because on stage you're trained to, to express... Well, see, on stage, your head is a millimeter large to the audience, and your eyes are invisible, and your body is just like four millimeters big to like the audience. So you're trying to express the workings of the inner mind to people who can't see your eyes. So it's all about getting that, like pushing it out and expressing it in a mm. larger way. And on film, the, the camera is as close as a lover, uh, even your best friend doesn't get that close to you. <laughs> so you can see everything yeah. going on. And so it's so important to stop acting. And I remember thinking with Tony, I hadn't learned any of this yet. And I, I remember thinking with Tony, like, old man, would you wake up? Like, I'm going to mop the floor with you. Like, can I give you a cup of coffee. You're not doing anything. <laughs> and then I saw, I saw our scene and he ruled me. He just mopped the floor with me like, don't even care about Spike, you know. Uh, just want to cut back to to the to someone who's not lying to me, who's wow. real. Mm. And and it was that moment that got through to me and got through my pride. And and I realized that I had to go back to school. I I had to dump everything I thought I knew about acting and go back to the beginning and learn it all over again for this new medium. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the school of Tony Head. Right. Sounds like a great school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would just, I would go and sit on an Apple box. Uh, even when I wasn't in the scene, I would go and watch him film. Wow. Just mostly to see what he was not doing. Mm. And it was a big mystery uh, in the beginning because he, he was, I'm not the camera and I'm not looking through, you know, at the monitor. I'm just looking at him almost like I'm in a small stage. Yeah. And again, he's just kind of talking really soft. I can barely hear him. And, looks boring you know <laughs> but that was that was the first lesson like yeah. don't don't act just mumble a little bit this interview has been so different than the other interviews we've done because i'm like we have to just pick some directions because we could sit yeah. and talk for a week with you about you know what I mean? there's just so much there's yeah. there's so many different places to go but i um I'm certainly not going to keep you here in this room for a week. Uh, <laughs> as much as we would all love that. Um, well, but, we must do it again then. Yes, gladly, yeah. happily. Um, we got a we got a bunch of of listeners. We never talked about the patriarchy, so oh, we got to come right. back to that at some point. I'm like, so what do you feel about the patriarchy? Go. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's, just, <laughs> it's so making so many. It's working out for you, for right? You. See, that's the thing about the patriarchy. We talked about it so many times, yeah. but we just kind of did everything. Like, yeah, we didn't call it out, but we got it's it. It's a bad thing. We've, I mean, we've, and and you did you. I mean, you you. T spoke about the fact that like this was a show with a feminist character at its center yeah. it was being written you know by it joss is a man but there were some female showrunners there's so many yeah. layers and talking about the sexuality talking about it's all it's so important to talk about too because like i uh i remember there was a speech that martin luther king gave and i forget which one it was but he was talking about the the cost of uh racism to white people mm. <laughs> and how it's stunted the white people as well and i think that sexism is it's the same deal mm -hmm. uh it cuts both ways uh it stunts everyone and i often feel like 
my my kids don't want to hear it when I say this, so I'm a, I kind of don't I don't want to. I guess I'll offend people. Maybe I'll offend people, but I feel like the way to to progress is to make the point that this is hurting everyone. That every, we we all need to climb out of these restrictive roles that we've been born into. Yes. Um, so that we can all be incentivized to try a new way. My daughter was saying, you know, you know, men just need to wake up. They need to. They need to give the power, they need to share the power. I'm like, well, they need to be convinced that they're being hurt. They need to, they, it's mm. got to be something in it for them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well or just, you know, they're not going to, just take it. Like, they're not going <laughs> to give it to you. Just yeah. take it. Yeah. Well, but I think that's, we talk about that all the time. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about like the character of Xander and the conversations we've had. <laughs> poor, yeah. poor Xander really carries the... What the is, yeah, please tell me like, because like, I have the memory thing. So right. like, what, and, what and is it? I mean, Xander, especially in the early seasons is sort of, you know, he slut so, shames Buffy a bunch. Uh, it's like he invented the friend zone, like all of the misogynistic, like, stuff you would expect from a high school boy kind of like funnels through Xander because he is the available conduit. Yeah. And in, that, and in the nineties, yeah. it was totally normal. We were, like, yeah, we educate we me. What is the friend zone is when, when you're, uh, when you want a woman and she wants to be friends, but doesn't want anything else. And it's painful. Right. Which is his sort of journey with Buffy. With Buffy right. Yeah. He, he, but his approach to it is sort of that he's like entitled. And when he can't have, what he thinks he deserves, mm-hmm. he's just mean. Yeah. Oh. So okay, so he's immature. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so and it's like, give me what I want for Christmas. <laughs> exactly. I hate you. Yeah. Okay. But we, but we, yeah. we talk about that, yeah. and also like how in the '90s we all watched it, and we were like, we love Xander. Like we didn't even mm-hmm. have an awareness of what was happening. Now we get to watch mm-hmm. it with some new goggles on of being mm-hmm. a little bit more aware. But also as we've progressed, we've talked about the fact that again, this can be applied to it can be applied to any of the characters, but it for us it has been a lot of Xander. That Xander is also a product of social constructs. That it's not like Xander is a bad human hard yeah. stop similar to what we were even talking about before. Um, that that there is a system of power in place that elevates men over women or white people over people of yeah. color or sh- straight people over, you know, whatever the dyad is or whatever the multifaceted thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, right, exactly what you're saying, that the, that the elevated aren't just having a blast up there. Like they have the power, sure, but it's, but it's not emotionally or psychologically nurturing. No. The other thing is, is like Joss balance. and company, when they're writing this show back in the 90s and the early 2000s, they're still... They're in a fog of awareness, and they can they can see a little further toward truth than maybe your average bear, mm-hmm. you know. And they're calling out to a a, a, a a more inclusive awareness, but they're still born into that fog. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 because of people like Joss and Marty and the other writers, the fog is lifted a little bit, and we can all see a little further. And then we go back and see Buffy, like, well, that was terrible. They're in a fog. Well. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, but no, and trying. that's, yeah, but it, but it's also really powerful because it's not, I mean, that's certainly, not, there are, I'm sure, plenty of people who do look at it that way, but mm-hmm. that's not how, how we view it at all. It's sort of like, we, I mean, Jenny and I are, are of the same class practically as Buffy, right? Like, I graduated mm-hmm. in 98. What did you graduate? 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're right there. So we were, we were that age. We, we lived through that time. And so we're very aware of the fact that 
we were not aware of certain things then like it wasn't part of the conversation um and it's been really cool and really powerful to to use that as a way to have a conversation about like where we once were where we are what we can learn from characters now that we yeah. couldn't learn from the men i play a mental experiment sometimes of what are people going to say about us today oh. in 20 or 40 oh years what are going to be the things where they say how could they have done yeah oh yeah and i, I think of in the treatment of animals <sighs> and the treatment of the environment obviously everyone knows that one but there's probably other ones that we're not even we would never even think to question absolutely yeah. and that they're going to look back at us and be like those idiots right barbarians yeah. right but hopefully hopefully they'll bring some measure of of understanding that yeah. we were doing our best man so don't make a tv show that lasts because you're just going to get you <laughs> later on down the line <laughs> So um, I chose one of the the listener submitted questions because I thought it was a nice um, way to bring us back to the listenership and to the fans of the show. Yeah. Um, Michaela from Twitter wrote in and said, a lot of young people watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer as an escape from their personal lives, and the TV show got people through a lot of hard times. I was one of them. Spike always put a smile on people's faces, and I'd like to know if you could tell us fans anything, what would it be? Vote. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, you can't change the world on your own, but you can be part of a group that does. And we have found out uh, what happened in 2016 when people felt like voting didn't matter. And we found out in 2018 when people believed in themselves enough to show up and vote. And, and big change can happen when we all work together to do that. Hell yes. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> that is, and that's what the show teaches us every day, too. Right? <laughs> it does. It's right there. I was sitting it's there going, right there. boy, that's a lot of power. Anything yeah, that anything? I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> James, yeah. will you tell us, I mean, I think most people who are listening to, the, to this know sort of where to find you in terms of you're on The Runaways and we're watching yeah. you on that. But is there are there other things you want to share about your work right now? I know that you work with... Um, you know, work on vidiots, maybe. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to talk about that because that's really fun. Whatever yeah. you, I'm not trying to corral you. And so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, vidiots is, is an awesome project that I do with Mark Devine uh, about two guys that travel the world and understand nothing. Um, <laughs> we were, uh, we, we, he comes uh, with me to conventions to help at the table and he, he is the funniest man I've ever hung out with. And uh, he's never funnier than when we're playing video games and he's losing. <laughs> He's so, he's so hard on himself. And, and, um, and I thought, you know, we should start filming this. And, I, and so I got a video capture, and, and we just turned an iPhone around on ourselves mm -hmm. and, and combined them. And, and it was working really well. And then we were in Paris, and uh, we were playing Assassin's Creed, the one that takes place in Paris. And it was a beautiful day, but we had this, the blinds drawn, and we're clicking away. And finally, I, I peek out the window, and I'm like, Dude, this is obscene. Like we're in Paris, pretending we're in Paris. Let's just go down the street and be in Paris, you know? And so we decided to do that, but we we kept our phones on us and we just went around and adopted our characters who are slightly more stupid than we are in real life. And uh, just played the clueless Americans in a foreign land, you know, like uh, one of my favorite uh, reality quote reality shows is an idiot abroad. 
uh, the Ricky Gervais show that mm. follows uh, Carl Pilkington around. And Carl is Carl's apparently a lot smarter than he appears on the show, uh, but he's a very good clown, and, mm-hmm. he, and he goes around the world and understands nothing. So um, we, com- we combine uh, us playing video games uh, with kind of being tourists uh, wherever we are, uh, and then sometimes we, we do stuff like the reason we'll be out on the road is that I am voicing a cartoon somewhere or I'm doing a movie, uh, and, and then we try to work that in. Like we were doing... Um, a, a really good independent film um, that I did. Oh, pressure's on, James. <laughs> it's called A Bread Factory with Tyne Daly uh, about a community arts center. Uh, it's a true story about a community arts center in Hudson, New York, that uh, has floated a community through a lot of hardship. And huh. just like it's the, it's the, uh, uh, the wonderful, artistic, liberal heartbeat that keeps pumping in this town that just really got hit by a lot of unemployment. Mm. Um, and it's a two-parter film that is winning all sorts of awards. Wow, that's and out now. It's out now. It just came oh. out, and they're doing they're doing screenings, and I'm sure it's going to have a long life because like the critics are, are just like gaga over oh, it. That's awesome. Um, but we so for vidiots, uh, we did a thing where I hit my head on like I'm we get there for filming. I'm very excited to do it, and I hit my head really, really hard, and I wake up and I think I'm Ian McKellen. <laughs> and Mark is, Mark has decided to do, he wants to be a documentary filmmaker, and so he's doing a life of James Marsters, and now his project is ruined because now it's Ian McKellen, and he's got to figure out what to do with that, and he's also got to try to figure out how to get me on the set and play my role when I'm I'm, you know, oh my God. You know, I shall practice my lines, Mark. Of course, you shall not pass. <laughs> that, that was good, wasn't it, Mark? It was very good. <laughs> yeah, very good, James. Oh, God, what are we going to do? And so we always try to come up with God. something like that. Um, you talked at the beginning of, of the interview about um, having fun, and I just feel like you're still doing Like, you know, what's the secret? How do you keep just having fun? Put on makeup for work. <laughs> cool. Shave your nipples apparently occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take yourself seriously. That's, That's I think it. I read somewhere that if, if I'm taking myself seriously, if I'm not having fun, I'm taking myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Ah. And uh, I'm very lucky because I've always loved acting. I've always, I've always loved this idea that we're con men, actors, and. Uh, and the audiences are rubes. They're the marks. <laughs> They're not in on the gag. But the good thing is, is we're not conning someone out of something. We're conning them into accepting a gift. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's wonderful to be in on the joke when no one else gets like, we're not really going to cut Macbeth's head off tonight. It's a watermelon, but it's going to spray red and you're all going to gasp because you do every night and we love it. But it's not really violent. You know, it's just something really delicious about yeah. that. Like, oh, they really love the watermelon this time. Like, oh, that's great. Um, I, and so I always, I love being in on the gag in that way. Um, but yeah, I really have fun. Gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us. Truly. Yeah. yeah. It's been really fun. You guys are smart. You know, oh, hey. around smart people. Right and back I feel at smart. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it really is, is such a delight. And it, it's just been so fun to re explore this 
you know, 20 years later, however many years later, it's, it's still, I mean, as I think any good art does, it's just going to give and give and give forever. Just wherever we are, there's going to be relevance there and something to talk about. Yeah. Because it's about, it's not just about teenage years anymore. It's about everyone. How do you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah. How do you (laughs) not give up today? Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you again. Yeah. I feel like like I'm waiting for like the, our audience to applause. You know what I mean? I'm like, come on, guys, give us some support. Wasn't this great? Did we do a good job? <laughs> okay. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.